0: hosting up the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post and tried something different today. Uh, Tonight I was in Sacramento uh, where the Lakers played the Kings. Uh, Luke Walton got ejected. Uh, Kings wound up winning the game. Pretty interesting night. Um, Was there there to do some work on a column I have going up, uh, you know, sometime early Tuesday morning on the on the Lakers and uh, the situation they're in. So, um anybody listens to this on Tuesday can look for that too but uh on my way home I I sent a text out to a couple people and um, my buddy Fred Katz was was up and around in Oklahoma City so uh he and I talked on the phone on my ride home uh from Sacramento was hands-free uh so was being safe wasn't holding the phone as I was driving but um had a fun conversation about the about the Thunder about the Western Conference about where the Thunder fit in the conference about Russell Westbrook's uh mvp candidacy um it was a it was a really good conversation so um hopefully you guys will enjoy it i apologize in advance if the audio quality is a little off on the pod um like i said i was in the car so you know it could be a little iffy but i think it'll be i think it'll be a fun listen and it should be pretty good to listen to so uh, from an audio standpoint i listened to some of it and it sounds pretty good so hopefully you guys enjoy it and with that let's get started with the pod
1: all right, so thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, you know, you've you've kind of gotten a chance to to be front and center for for the Russell Westbrook show over the first six weeks of the season. Um, what, what has it been like? You know, I, I you know I think all of us kind of thought that that Russ was going to go crazy this year. Um, with Kevin Durant on, and with the opportunity to, you know, really really have to be the entire offense for the Thunder, but, but what has it been like kind of getting a chance to, you know, especially in Oklahoma City where you could sit courtside and really get a chance to be up boss, um, you know, get a chance to sit and watch him, you know, go on this, on this run like he has
2: to start the year off? You know, it's funny. Like, I think the most common question, like the most common reaction is, oh, my goodness, I can't believe a human being is actually, like, physically capable of doing it. And, and the most common question that I think people have been asking, especially early in the year, uh, is this sustainable? And I sit there and I watch that guy play every single minute that he plays basketball. And you you see his energy every single day. And – I, I really am, am pretty confident in, in believing that it's sustainable. That may, maybe he doesn't average triple double. Like maybe the rebounds come down a little bit. Maybe he averages nine and a half rebounds or something at the end of the year. And I was somebody who thought at the start of the year, like averaging a triple double. Like I laughed at people who predicted that he would average a triple double. I just thought it was a ridiculous notion for for a few different reasons. Uh, and I really do think it's sustainable. Like, I really do think it's a, it's something that he's, that, that the energy, that's just the way he's playing, the way that he's carrying the offense right now, I, I really do think it's a thing that he can continue to do. Like, there's just been exactly zero off at all. Like, he was, he was fantastic against Boston, and he had a couple games where, you know, he had double-doubles, but he, he struggled by his standards, uh, to where, like, we've legitimately had debates, like, serious debates, during like in like the media room over what his least impressive triple double is this year and we kinda had to stop and be like, We're discussing least impressive triple doubles. What a ridiculous what a ridiculous notion. Uh right. and and it it's been pretty amazing to watch. I can't imagine that there are a lot of, you know, people in our industry who kinda have have had this experience before
1: no he i mean he is a special show onto himself now not not to try to denigrate what he's doing but at least from my vantage point it does seem like there is especially on the rebound side um some kind of ensuring that Ross is getting some of these extra rebounds i mean is that is it is it fair to is it fair to say that that he's he's certainly been more aggressive than maybe a normal guy would for going and grabbing a few of these defensive boards from guys
2: yes yeah. I mean it's not fair, it's it's accurate. It. It's <laughs> right. It's correct. Right. Like he leads the NBA in uncontested rebound. Uh, <laughs> right. Like he, right. that was what he I, I, was let you lay, I, I was letting
1: you lay that stat out. That's all. Yeah,
2: I mean it's it's not it's not fair, it's accurate. It. The right. the the thing that I take issue with is when people say that the stat pat I don't like the term stat padding because I think stat padding uh, implies that what he's doing is detrimental to the team. Uh and I and I think that it actually helps the Thunder when he's the one who gets the defensive rebound. Right, and then he
1: just starts the fast break, right.
2: Right, like the Thunder, so the Thunder off defensive rebounds, at least I haven't checked the numbers in a couple of games, so it's possible they've changed, but at least conceptually, uh, they they were at one point pretty recently. They're still really good because they're not number one anymore. But they were getting up shots off of possessions that started with defensive rebounds. They were getting up shots quicker than any other team in the league. And that's because when Russell Westbrook gets a defensive rebound, he's he's like it's a cliche, but the dude's a one man fast break, like more so than any other guy in the league. And and when you don't have to have that outlet pass. The defense kind of hesitates for a second, So just kind of out of habit, a defense will anticipate an outlet pass. That's why like those bigs who can pick it up the floor are so good for their offense. The Westbrook is so fast, and he's so good at getting to the rim, and he just blows through defenses. and He blows by guys, and uh, I, I think it's a good thing when he's able to get those defensive rebounds, when Adams is able to block out or Tanner or whoever it is. Like, there are obviously certain times where you see, like, you know, the most obvious moment of the year to me where he was like, okay, he really wanted that number was the Knicks game. Uh, He had 14, 10, and 9 with one possession left in the first half, which is just completely ridiculous. And you could tell he wanted a triple-double in the first half, and he needed one extra assist. And he made, like, a pass into traffic to Joffrey Laverne with, like, three seconds left in the half. And it was, like, a pass with such a low chance of it working. And it got deflected away. And you could tell he just wanted the assist. And, like, a thing like that, like, yeah, that's obviously not the best basketball position. It's kind of an isolated incident. For the most part, like, yeah, the, the numbers are a little bit inorganic. But that doesn't mean that it's not helping the team. Like, I think it's fair to draw that distinction, right?
1: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think stat padding has a bit of a negative connotation. I just think, you know, I I also think to your point, it is is worth pointing out that you know, it isn't like this is just kind of happening in the flow of the game, and there's no, you know, there's there's kind of, I mean, the the Thunder are, you know, the Thunder are going out of their way in some respects to make sure that Russ is grabbing several extra rebounds. But you know, to your point, it they a lot of the time, you know, it's not like it's not like he's going in there and fist fighting people for rebounds and kind of slowing things up and. You no, know, I think to your larger point, which is something that I think hasn't really been hammered home enough, the reason why before the season, you know, we had a podcast and I said I didn't think the Thunder were going to make the playoffs. I mean, part of that was because I thought some of these other teams in the West would be better and they are there at the bottom of the West is pretty god awful. Um, but the other thing was I just didn't think the Thunder were going to be able to score. And the important thing about these Westbrook you know, rebounds, to your point, is that you know, the best chance the Thunder have to score is if Westbrook is coming up on the break and they can either get him to get to the rim for a bucket or they can get some offensive rebounds and putbacks on, on layups and transition. Because if they get into the half court, they, they just aren't going to score very often. And I think you've seen in a lot of these games, that's where a lot of their success comes come is from getting out in transition and allowing their athletes to just get to the rim um, and, and avoid having to get into a half-court set where they're going to run into a lot of trouble.
2: Right. It's it's not even for them necessarily just about scoring in transition either. Like, obviously, that's the priority. But kind of like the, if that's what, if that, like the 1A priority is also, like, just get a mismatch. Like, right? because they don't have – Like they're 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 a comfortably below average top court offense. But what's interesting about them is like they have guys who can exploit you in one on one matchups. Right. If if Westbrook gets a big on him, if Oladipo gets a big on him, you know if Adams gets a small on him, he can still post him up like relatively capably. Right. But they have guys exactly. So like. If you run and you get a bit, you, you just, just get a mismatch like they become not like they become a great offense or anything but they become so much more capable than your, probably your average below average half court offense so I think just just being able to just beat the defense back on the other side even if you don't get the transition is like really really important for them.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think just in the half court itself, I and mean, they might have one of the five or six worst offenses in the league. I mean, they they just have nobody that can shoot the ball, and so you can really pack the. Pain on them and, and make it tough for us to drive, and um, you know that I, it really bogs down. Um, but to your point, if they can get out of transition, like you said, not only can they get to the rim for some easy buckets, but they also can get some of those. You know, especially for their bigs, if, if they're bigs, if they're bigs hustle and get up and down the court, so you can get some. You can get some quick post up seals inside. You know, and that those will tend to be really probably the most effective post ups you can get too. Um, when you when you when you talk about Russ being able to sustain this too, I mean, part of the fact. You know, I think it's pretty obvious that he's not exerting the same kind of effort on defense. I mean, I don't – I don't – I don't want to compare it because it's not quite the same thing, but the way he's playing kind of reminds me of the way Kobe played under D'Antoni before he got hurt. Um, you know, it's obviously, I don't want Rusty to get hurt, but like Kobe was almost like a DH that year and where he just was playing basically no offense or no defense, but was putting up these gargantuan numbers. And he was also playing basically all of every game too, because he was insane. But um, it, do, it does seem like the Thunder have kind of done the same thing where like the one thing you could say about this team is they might not have anybody that can shoot, but they got a ton of athletes. And other than other than really Kanner they got a lot of guys that can really guard. Um, I guess and maybe Sabonis. So you know they they've really kind of allowed Russ to be this one man offensive juggernaut for them. And then if he does take time off on defense, it isn't really going to kill him because with the rest of their roster, you know, maybe maybe the better comparison even like when Allen Iverson is with the Sixers, like they kind of have a team that's built to do everything else for him and then let him kind of run their offense when he gets the ball in the game.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's totally true. And and that's kind of why that's one of the reasons why I do think it's sustainable. Like it's one of the, it's one of the interesting things about Russ. Like people, people talk about is I think when we talk about energy and motor, and I don't mean this specifically for Russell Westbrook, I mean this for everyone. So like I have a theory, and I know you're going to think this is one of my ridiculous theories, uh, but but I no, it's, it's not. It's that (laughs) when, when players have long hair, we just say that they have great motors because you look like you're doing more when your hair is swinging around. So, like, everyone with long hair, we say, has a great motor. And I think it's just because they look like they're doing more when their hair is swinging around. And, like, saying that someone has a great motor, I'm not saying Russell Westbrook doesn't have a great motor. He obviously does. Uh, But saying someone has a great motor has so much... It's almost to do with the mannerisms of how a person plays and not always how a person plays. Right. Uh, like, no one talks about Kawhi Leonard's motive. But Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard is just watching it on both ends of the floor. You know, like, yep. and he's yep. always the example that I use. Uh, you know, we asked if, if he's, he's, you know, Russell Westbrook is propping up the Thunder offense so much. He's putting so much into this team. But, like, Kawhi Leonard is playing for a Spurs team that has big men like Haugesol and, you know, playing major minutes and a defense that's fallen off from where it was last year, and he yep. has to prop them up, and he's doing everything on defense, and, like, it's killing his on-off numbers, and, like, he's he's running around like crazy, and he's still easily their like, most the guy who they depend on most on the offense then. And nobody yep. asks, like, is it sustainable with Kawhi Leonard? Nobody has ever asked that question. And so I think a lot of this stuff just has to do with, like, the mannerisms and the actual, like, physical way that a guy carries himself and I'm not saying that Russell Westbrook isn't doing an absolute ton I'm just saying that I think it colors the way that we frame this a little bit too much uh no and no for sure I think he can't it itself of that
1: yeah for sure I mean you can't you can't help but watch Russ play and not be drawn to the fact that he is this, you know, human lightning bolt. I mean that's just kind of the way he carries himself at all times. I mean he's he's snarling and he's stomping around and he's getting in people's faces and getting technical fouls and he's um he's, you know he's catching the ball and he's flying up the court and trying to run through people at the rim and he's you know he's trying to rip the rim off when he's dunking. Like there there's nothing subtle about Russell, you know, and that I think to your point, that kind of reinforces what you're talking about where you you know, it's it's hard. It's impossible to watch him play and not see every single thing he's doing. Where somebody like the guy he used to play with, or Kawhi, um, guys that are a little more sanguine in the way they play um, and a little more understated, it doesn't make one better than the other, um, better than the other. But but it does. I think to your point, it does allow for people to kind of, you know, judge them differently just because when you watch a guy like Russ play, you're getting beat over your head what he's doing every second he's on the court. Where other guys, you know, you kind of have to really study them to see everything that's going on because it's not in such an overpowering, you know, in-your-face kind of style like his is.
2: Yeah. No, for sure. That's and, and look, I don't want to make it seem like I'm demeaning what he's doing, because I really do think what he's doing is, it's, it's, it's nothing short of remarkable. And I didn't think that he was going to, uh, you know, put up the numbers that are quite this great. And, and he's carrying the Thunder to wins, and he's in great, great late in games. And, and, you know, a lot of this stuff is not stuff that, that I saw coming. But, but I do think it's sustainable because, like, yeah. I mean, we talk about the the defense stuff, and uh, he's he's. I do think he's been better defensively than he was last year. But last year was probably the worst defensive year of, of his career that I remember, at least. Uh, but he's he's been he's been he's been pretty far from like he, he for some reason got like a bunch of all defense votes last year, which is weird to me. Uh, and like he's been, you know, he's obviously very far from that level.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you just got a lot of steals, and so people people kind of said, "Oh, look, Russ is getting some steals." And, and right, all the all defensive teams are always kind of a a um, you know an amorphous amorphous thing for people to figure out because some people do it off the of eye test, and other people do it off stat. And, like just who has the most blocks and steals, and other people look at you know more advanced metrics. And I mean, you know, it kind of goes back to the the, the overall point, which is very hard to quantify um, what a guy is doing on defense a lot of times. Other than like you watch. Kawhi Leonard and draymond green you're like these guys are incredible defensive players just, you know you don't need a advanced stat to tell you that but everybody else you kind of have to um you kind of have to figure it out as you go now as far as the rest of the roster goes um you know going up and down the list you know I got I guess just from a, a macro standpoint uh, to this point in the season who who has stood out to you as as exceeding your expectations and who who has not maybe done what you thought they were going to do up and down the roster
2: Jeremy Grant has exceeded my expectations. Uh, I think, I, I just, I didn't know what to say, because when you're coming out of the environment that he came from in Philly, like, his first, I don't remember if it was his first, it wasn't his first day, uh, but it was his first, like, week with the Thunder, uh, he said that, like, he said, he said something like, I he just had a huge grin on his face, and he said, like, I already love it here. And I said to him, like, why why do you already love here? Like, what's the biggest difference? And he looked at me like I was like I was crazy. And he just goes, actually winning games. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Like, I forgot that, like, that's a thing that you've never come close to experiencing. And right. so, like, when you come out of that silly environment, I just didn't know, like, what he was. I knew he was athletic and he was wild, and He's got, like, the perfect NBA body, but I just didn't know. And I think he's a plus defender. And Billy Donovan has used him in some interesting ways. Like he played him at the five for about four or five minutes to close that game on Friday against Houston, and they lost that game. Uh, but that lineup was a big reason why they came back and and only lost it by three and and fell at the buzzer. Uh, he's he's used him to guard threes, to guard fours. He's been pretty good. Uh, not great as a pick-and-roll defender, I think, guarding the ball, but I think certainly, like, very reliable as a back-line pick-and-roll defender, uh, guy defending the back. I think probably he, Donovan used him more, more as a big, you know, guarding bigs, more guarding fours as he's gone on. He was really playing the three uh, the first couple of weeks more, and he's been using them at the four lately. But he's just been a guy who he's, he's really good at getting to the rim, putting the ball on the floor. Like, he's got no moves. At all. He's got one move. He puts his head down. He goes one or two dribbles and goes right at the rim. Uh, but, like, statistically, he's he's actually pretty good at it. Uh, and he's just, he's been like a reliable rotation player on a good team. And I wasn't um, I wasn't 100% sure that that's what he was going to be coming out of Philly because we just didn't have a ton of evidence of that, you know? Uh, and I guess we're trying to think of someone who has underperformed. Uh, this team's been better than I thought they would be. So I'm running through right now. Is there anybody that you have in mind? I'm trying to think of somebody who's underperformed. For um, Victor's been about what I thought he would be. I'd take Steven Adams, probably. Uh, Steven Adams has been good. There's no question he's been good. But I, I don't think he's necessarily maintained where he was during last year's postseason. Uh, and and that's not necessarily like improvement's not a linear thing so that doesn't mean that he's not going to get there He's 23 years old and guys have peaks and they fall a little bit and then they get back up and he's been banged up a little bit and he's he's been good he's been important for their defense uh and and his, his post game has looked good at times and it's looking inconsistent at others uh but he's 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 kind of followed a lot of passes this year and he was kind of known for having great hands when he first came into the league. He hasn't really shown it since he had a hand injury earlier in the year. And um, I, I think they've, they've struggled using him switching on to wing guys, which is something that like was a real strength of his in the postseason last year, in those matchups against Golden State, which I thought they were going to be able to use maybe a little bit more than they have during the regular season. And he's certainly right. been good. Uh, he's certainly been good,
1: but he definitely has yeah, I mean, how much how much of that, I mean, I, I know he's had a few injuries, and you kind of referenced him as you went through that. How much of his issues do you think come down to the fact that it's just hard to be a post-up big when you, you have nobody on your team that can shoot the ball? Um, I know Victor's shot the ball well early, but, you know, especially with that starting group, I mean, there's just not a lot... Of, there's just not a lot of people on that team that you really trust to knock down an open shot from three. Um, how, how much of that do you think plays into the fact that teams just have no problem loading up on a guy like Adams in the paint because it's not like you got to rush out to try to contest shots at the line for just about anybody on the roster?
2: Oh, it's, it's, it's a massive amount to do with that. And it's not even just the post-up stuff. So, like, last year, for example, uh, Russell Russell Westbrook was able to find Adams on tons of rolls for the rim, especially in the postseason. Like, they had that connection working, whether whether it was pocket passes or or lobs off the pick and rolls or whatever it was. And this year, teams are defending the pick and roll differently to where, like, they're not really getting that lob anymore. And it's in part because like the weak side defender now who was sticking to a guy, you know, who was the best shooter in the entire league maybe, in Kevin Durant. Well, yeah, maybe second best the best non warrior shooter at the time. Right. The he
1: was he was one and of the three best shooters in the league, probably. And now he's on that team. <laughs>
2: Exactly. Exactly. Right. And 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 so teams weren't going to help off of Durant in the corner to right. cut off the Adams roll when they would send both guys at Russell Westbrook on the pick and roll. And now not every team is doing it. Like Adams actually talked about this the other day. Like Houston didn't do it, and they got that lob to Adams a bunch. Uh, Ariza was sticking to Victor Oladipo in the corner, but so guys are guys are sliding over that center and leaving the corner three open. Whether it's on Robert Stainer, or they're really doing it a lot with Oladipo. It's one of the reasons why Oladipo. Those shooting numbers are up, and why I think that they can probably continually can shoot a percentage in the high thirties, just because he's getting good looks because of it, uh, and and they're taking away that role, to Adam. So that just takes away a lot of a lot of those opportunities because they're not giving him those point blank shots. Right. And it's just it's hard. Like he's he's learning to adjust. He's a really really bright guy. He like I think people think of him as as really goofy in a lot of ways, and he definitely is. Uh, because, you know, you see like the videos that I tweet out sure. go viral. Uh, sure. But one of the things that I really like about interviewing him is that he's the rare breed where I can ask him something goofy and he can give me a hilarious answer. Uh, and then I'll pull him aside. I'll be like, hey Steven, I have this really, really nerdy, specific X's nose question for you, and he'll give me like an awesome explanation. Uh, he's really, he's a really bright guy, so I think he'll figure this out and he'll adjust. But like that kind of stuff takes time, especially for a guy still only 23 years old.
1: Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And to, to go back to your to your to your point about Jeremy Grant. You know, I think the reason why you've seen him play better is because, you know, I think I think there was fairly an assumption by a lot of people, myself included, that you know part of the reason that the Thunder made that trade to bring him in was that he's some insurance in case Andre Robertson gets a little too expensive a contract next summer um, as a restricted free agent. But I, I think I think the fact he's having more success at the four and five kind of reinforces what a lot of people thought about him before the trade was even made, which is that. He's such a terrible offensive player, other than using his athleticism, that he just, like, Robertson is a a bad shooter, but can, like, occasionally hit a a shot or two, and, you know, that makes him, you know, somewhat passable to play at the three, kind of like, you know, maybe Luca Mute with the Clippers, but, um, you know, Grant is just such a minus from the outside that, you know, I think sliding him down um, has allowed him to, to, to be in positions where he's, his that lack of spacing isn't killing you as much offensively, um, especially when so many other guys can't shoot. And the your point, it kind of allows him to maybe, if he does get the ball, be able to be a step quicker than some of the bigger guys that are guarding him and get to the rim, which is, you know, the one way he can kind of, you know, make himself a contributor at that end.
2: Yeah, I think he's – I think he's a better defender, honestly, as a 4-2. Right. Uh, I'd agree with that,
1: too. I agree with that. Dude.
2: I I think his future in the league is just especially you know, maybe if it were two thousand and two, his future in the league wouldn't be as a four. But with the way that things are going, like his future in the league is as a four. Heck, maybe the future in his like I don't know where the NBA is going. Maybe in maybe in four years he's a guy who plays the five. Like I mean I with the way that the league is going right I mean, now I mean I certainly mean,
1: think I certainly I mean look, here's the thing. If you can't shoot and he can't shoot at all, then the fi- the farther off the list you can play, the better off off you're going to be. I mean, you know, to your point, if, if you're playing a team like the Rockets where, you know, they don't have a brawler in, at the five, um, if you can run him out there for some minutes at the five, you know, more power to you. Um, you know, if you're playing, you know, Brooke Lopez or uh, Andre Drummond or uh, DeMarcus Cousins, I mean, if you're, if you're playing some legitimate center, there, there's no way that he can guard a five in that spot. But, it, it, but if you're playing a team that's got Clint Capella playing center or ryan anderson or um you know some some smaller guy or if you know if you're playing the warriors saying the warriors are playing draymond green at center you know if you're if you're playing some team that's trying to play small then sure you can run him out there for some minutes at the five and let him roll to the rim as a athletic bouncy you know six nine guy and and that allows you to, to really mitigate the issues he gets, he presents as, as being a non-shooter for you
2: it's not even just about size to me i think it goes a little bit deeper than that so uh let's get let's get basketball nerdy for a second sure why not so, let's do it so like still to this day it, it, you don't see it quite as much as we did like three years ago but still to this day probably the most common way to defend picker goals is just like the way the spurs do it right you just drop your big back and 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 you play it more conservatively right and, yep. and there are a lot of teams who don't do that now but this year, I would say, I mean, certainly more than any other year. But I think, like, when we look back on it as like the evolution of big men shooting, I think this is the first year where we're going to be like, well, I guess like five men have to shoot threes also, because that's going to be a thing. Like centers are going to have to shoot threes too, and now guys like Brook Lopez and Marcus you have tons of guys shooting threes, and I think the evolution of pick and roll coverage is basically going to make that that zoning up pick and roll dropping a guy back, I think eventually, I don't know how long it's going to take, I think that's going to go relatively thin, because when you have tons of fives who can just pop and hit a three, now the guys like Lopez and Gasol, and like, they are not just taking threes, like, Marcus Gasol is shooting 40-something percent of three, and like, Evan Turner, and poor Zingus. And, you know, tons of these guys, like, even the Thunder have them. Like, even the Thunder just have, like, Joffrey Laverne. Like, you don't have to be a great guy to be a great player to be this mold of players. But when you have a type of guy who can play the five and who you don't have to drop back on people's, who you can switch with who you can hedge more comfortably with, like, however you want to do it, if you can just have them show a little bit higher than just dropping them back into the paint the whole time, like, that's something. And who still is capable of defending the rim on top of that, Like, that's something that I think in, like, the direction the NBA is going in, that's going to be super, super valuable. And I think he's going to end up because of that kind of style and the way that's evolving because that's going to continue to change. Like, that's going to become more and more extreme. Like, look at what's happened with Power Forward just over the last five years. The same thing is going to happen with centers. And and I think as that continues to evolve to just a point that, like, maybe we can't even comprehend right now, like a guy like him is going to be maybe more valuable – as a center than he is as a power forward.
1: I mean maybe. I, I think I, I think you're you're jumping the gun a little bit on uh on on determining that, that there's not gonna be you know, like I, I still think that. I'm not saying there aren't up. gonna
2: be I'm not saying there aren't gonna be post up options. That's not yeah. I'm not I'm not buying into the depth of the post-up, I've never been someone who's bought into that, but I sure. am buying into, like, the life of the versatile, the evolution of the, the versatile big guy, and, like, like Carl Towns is not a flawed post-up guy just because he can shoot, but he can also shoot, and I think because of that, the versatility of your, of your defenders at the five kind of have to find a way to match that. And if you can have a five who can be versatile like that, I just think that's going to be, not saying every five is going to defend like that because it's rare to have that type of athleticism and match together. Uh, But when you have that kind of guy, I think it's, you're going to be prone to playing that sort of guy at the position where he can make the most amount of impact is basically all I'm saying.
1: Yeah, no, I get that. I just think the problem for a guy like Grant is it doesn't matter. Like, he can't guard any of those guys anyway. You know what I mean? Like, all, all those guys you basically listed, all are too big for him to guard no matter where they're on the court. So, um I do, but I, but but your point is well taken, and you know, and, and it's very valid that you look at the way the center position, the, the power forward position, has changed over the last you know ten years, and
2: you know, it will be it will be really
1: interesting to see how the center position grows at the same time. I mean, you got guys like Channing Fry who've been making threes for years, and now now you got guys like Brooke and, and Gasol who are you know knocking down forty percent of the threes and taking not just taking them from you know three inches behind the line. I mean, you know, Brook is routinely pulling up from 27, 28 feet and knocking down shots. So, um, you know, it will be, it will be really interesting to see how that goes. Now, I, I don't remember exactly what the number is. I know you will. Uh, I know you'll remind me, but the Thunder have played, if not the most games that have been close games, they've certainly played right near the top and they've won what feels like at least an exorbitant amount of them. Do you, do you feel like this start? Um, not not that they haven't played well. They obviously have. But do you think that this pace that they're on win-wise is sustainable, or do you think that, you know, over the course of the year, there's going to be a little bit of regression back to the mean in terms of, you know, because of the way they play, kind of routinely being stuck in these late and close situations and just kind of evening out the, the breaks over the course of the year, they're probably going to start to have some of them go the other way over time.
2: The latter, the latter. The so 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 17 of their 24 games – have gotten into clutch time. Clutch time is is five point game with five minutes or left left to go. Right. Um, and and seventeen of their twenty four. It's the second most games behind Phoenix that have gotten into clutch time. You know their net rating during clutch time. There. They're, gotta be. It's gotta be good.
1: 'Cause it feels like they win every one of these games that they're in.
2: They are a plus twenty seven per one hundred possessions in clutch time.
1: That's pretty good. How many minutes is that 74
2: in? Seventy four minutes. That's a lot of minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh it's the most minutes in clutch Time to leave behind. The second most behind uh behind that and they're they're a plus twenty seven per one hundred possessions, which is absolutely crazy. Uh it's it's an unbelievable number and like there's just no way that's gonna sustain. Uh that 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 can't. That can't yeah, be- they've had some
1: crazy comebacks. I mean, they, they came back and beat Washington with a huge rally late. They, they came back and beat Denver with a huge rally late. I mean, they, they, they've they had a few games where, you know, they, they were, looked like they were dead to rights, and, and Russ kind of hit a few shots and got it back into it, and they caught a couple breaks, and, and, and it wound up winning the game. And, you know, that's been, you know, certainly has deservedly burnished, you know, Russ's MVP candidacy to this point. but. I
2: do. It does
1: seem hard to believe that that won't start to balance itself out over time. You know, especially like we were talking before we started. Um, you know, the Thunder you know, they have a little bit of a soft spot in the schedule after. You know, I think a really interesting back to back I want to talk about in a little bit. Um, but you know, then they play 16 out of 21 games on the road from you know latter part of December to the end of January, which. You know, really will be really be a time to see. You know, if that if that you know regression of the mean starts when they're they're on the road more and and playing playing some tougher teams and tougher environments.
2: Right, and if 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 that crunch time number doesn't like, if it like it's not going to be plus twenty seven at the end of the year because that's just like crazy. Uh, but but is it still like a fantastic number in crunch time? Um. That, that to me is the leading argument for Russell Westbrook's MVP candidacy. Uh just, just because if you look at if you look at his numbers late in games, his his usage is predictably off the chart. Uh, it's, yeah, he basically it's like,
1: doesn't pass. He basically, I shouldn't say he doesn't pass. He basically isn't involved in a play. I don't know what his usage is. You can tell me, but just from it's 61, eyeballing
2: it. It's 61%. It,
1: okay. I was going to say, I was going to actually guess 80% because it feels yeah. like in the last five minutes of a close game, he's either shooting it every single time or he's driving in and kicking somebody every single time. And like, Maybe the only times it isn't a usage for him is if there's an offensive rebound and a putback. Because it just mm-hmm. feels like he's got his hands on the ball, to your point, every second of every game down the stretch when it's close.
2: Yeah, but you know what's amazing? Like So so the fact that he's getting off that many shots is, is kind of amazing. But if he were just planking like crazy, then you know, that would be a different story. Because your shooting percentage is above league average. During that time, like he's, right. he's been he's been above average efficiency during that time, and, and you know usage rate and and true shooting are they're supposed to have an inverse relationship, right? Like your usage rate goes up, and your, your efficiency is supposed to go down. And the fact that he's just shooting like a maniac, like like maybe nobody we've ever seen before uh, in the modern era of basketball, uh, right. it it is uh, amazing that when the game's on the line, he's still he is still above league average in terms of efficiency, and, and to me, if you want to vote for him for MVP, uh, which I don't know who the MVP is because there are a lot of guys having great years right now, but obviously he is a more you know more than defensible vote. And if you want to vote for him for MVP, like fight to make an argument for him, I think that's what I would leave. Them.
1: Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, the, the good part about an argument like that is over the next, you know, four months, it'll make itself, you know. like right. it, It's it's very rare that you get down to the end of the season, and it's really a situation where no one can decide who the MVP is. Like, you have some, you might end up having some people who disagree with the final outcome, but by and large, a, a consensus will usually form. And, you know, there have been so many guys who have had incredible starts to the season that – I'm sure one of them will will shake themselves out, and and we'll see what happens. Now, you know, you mentioned the loss to Houston the other night. You know, now the Thunder have what I think is really intriguing back to back in Portland tomorrow night. Portland had a tough game tonight in LA, loss to the Clippers. I believe they lost anyway late. Um, yeah, they did. So they they have to get the Thunder on a back to back, but it is in Portland, and then the Thunder have to go to Utah uh, Wednesday, which is a brutal back to back. And I mean. Jazz have had some injuries, but that that's like the definition of a, a schedule loss. You lose an hour, you fly from Portland to Utah, you have to play at altitude. I mean, that that's just a really difficult um, a difficult game for them. But but the thing is, like with where Oklahoma City is, you know they they want to try to get as high up in the standings as possible, and you know these are the kind of games against Houston, against Portland. Um, against Utah, like all these teams that are probably going to be fighting for these four through eight spots, you know you have to rack up as many wins in that group as you can um, because that could wind up being the difference between getting a game, getting a series against, say the the Warriors or the Spurs in the first round, or playing one of those other teams in the first round, which is a, a far more winnable series and a better chance to get to get deeper into the postseason.
2: Yep. For sure, uh, I mean they they already beat Houston once, which was definitely a good one. I I think Houston's really good.
1: I think they're the fourth best team in the West. I love the Rockets. I think they're yeah.
2: I, I think I'm, I'm with you. I think they're. I think that team could win in the mid like that, that's, that's definitely a 50-win team to me.
1: Oh, I think so, as long as they stay healthy. I mean, to me, Eric Gordon is the sixth man of the year. He's been absolutely outstanding. He's a perfect man. Yeah, he's fan. been great. They're, they're using him exactly how he should be, Um, coming off the bench and firing up threes. And, you know, the funny thing about Eric Gordon that, that nobody really talks about is this, you know, this is a guy who, for the first time in his career, is finally playing somewhere he's happy to be and that he chose to be. You know, he he, he was, you know, things were good early in his career in the, with the Clippers, with then you know, he got traded to New Orleans. He wanted to leave New Orleans to go to Phoenix. They they mashed an offer sheet for him. He had a ton of injuries. You know, and I, he he clearly looks like a guy that that needed a change of scenery. And, and there's no better place for him to be than playing. You know, as a as a guy who can play in Mike D'Antoni's system and just. Bomb open threes. Um, oh yeah, hard and Harden is such a great fit too. Harden's such a perfect fit too. Ryan Anderson's a great fit. You know, they, they just they, that team just really. Uh, you know, I wrote about it recently, but they they just they just fit so perfectly with what D'Antoni wants to do. I um, mean, Harden is has been so good that, so that I really do think they're they're the number four team in the West right now, and I think by a decent margin. They've been they've been fantastic.
2: They might have the MVP, the six man of the year, and the coach of the year. They might,
1: they might. I mean, I, that's a good point. I didn't think about coach of the year, but yeah, I mean, if Houston, you know, if Houston does win somewhere, you know, north of 50 games, I, you know, I think you probably got to get pretty strong consideration of Mike, you know, given, given where that team was and where expectations were coming into the year. Um, you know, if you resurrects resurrect Gordon, I mean, remember, you know, I, I think you and I both were pretty skeptical about the contracts they gave to both Anderson and Gordon, this summer mm-hmm. in the Rockets. And, and we weren't alone in that. And, no, so far it's it's really looked like it's all worked out pretty well. Yeah, yeah.
2: I actually, I I I did a total one eighty on the Rockets as soon as I saw this. Like, I I went into here. I forget where their over under was. It was like something in the uh, low 40s. we are
1: in the same. We're in the exact same boat on this
2: too. Yeah, I because I picked their under uh, in the like before the preseason started. Whenever those lines came out, right. And then I watched. I watched them. Uh, I only remember what they were playing. I watched some preseason game with theirs, and I was like, oh, I was like, I, you know. Sometimes you just kind of think you know what you're gonna get, and you don't even get one thing. You just kind of see it happen, and you're like, "Oh yeah," but like they're actually really good, and, and I was immediately sold. Uh, yeah. I was immediately sold on that team because I was like, "This team is going to be a top three or four offense. They're going to be they're easily they're going to be so good offensively that 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 it's just going to be able to carry them to a ton of. A ton of regular season wins, like regardless of the postseason outcome, like that offense is just going to carry them to so many regular season wins. And I've always been a big, a big fan of Mike D'Antoni's. I've always thought he was a good coach. Uh, yeah, me so, too. Me too. Yeah. So, so that team's really good. I agree with you. I think that's number four in the West. Uh, I think, I think Utah. I mean, Utah. Did the Thunder win that game in Utah on Wednesday? Second night of a back to back. Uh, I'm not sure what. Do you know what George Hill's status is? Uh, I don't well, know. Well, they
1: they have they've had a whole slew of guys in and out of the lineup, so it's kind of hard right. to know who's going to be available for that game.
2: Right. But I know Derek. I know practice
1: today, so there's at least a chance he could play Wednesday. He hasn't played in a while either.
2: Right. So if, if guys play and the Thunder still win that game. Second night of a back-to-back, uh, that will be the most impressive win of the season. Yeah,
1: no, I'd agree with that. Now, now, you know, this this is kind of the relevant discussion, right? Because, you know, the West is kind of stratified into a couple tiers. You've got, you know, the Warriors, Spurs, and Clippers at the top and whatever, you know, whether you have the Spurs second and the Clippers second. Those, those three teams, I think, are pretty clearly in their own group. And then, you know, you've got that next group where, you know, I, I don't think, you know, I think, I don't know, if, I think the Western Conference playoffs are pretty well set, you know, barring, Barring uh, you know a Russ injury for a few weeks or something, or you know hard and maybe missing a month or two, like as long as everybody's relatively healthy, I think those next five teams, with maybe the exception of Portland because their defense has been so bad, um, it's probably it's probably going to be there. So where how do you how do you think those five teams shake out? I mean, I think we both agree that that Houston's four. So how do you see um, Utah, Memphis, Oklahoma City, and Portland, assuming those are the teams you think will make it?
2: Yeah, so so Houston four. I, I think Utah is five. Uh, Utah's top ten offense and defense right now, and they've had injuries. And maybe they're just going to be one of those teams that's always injured, like because they they've had injuries. It seems like they're they're hurt every year now, right? And like yep, yep. And and so maybe they're one of those teams where like you always, I, or at least I do, and maybe I'm wrong in doing so. But whenever I see the injuries, I always think like, okay, well you know, the year they had a lot of injuries. They'll come back this year. They'll have a normal amount of injuries, or maybe it evens out a larger stable size or whatever it is, like, they have the talent and they're going to be really good, but maybe they'll get hurt. But, I mean, if they're healthy, I mean, favors and, and Gobert is just a ridiculous front court, and George Hill has been incredible when he's, like, George Hill is the MIP if he plays enough games this year and keeps playing at this level. So, so like, this is – And you didn't even
1: mention Gordon Hayward, who's their best player.
2: Exactly, and I didn't even mention their best player right. in that in that in that analysis. And, and I think Quinn Sanders is is a good coach too. And and so you, you've got a, a really good, talented team there that's, that's top ten on both sides of the ball, even even with the injuries that they've had right now. And I think they have the potential to play even better basketball than they've already played. So I put them ahead. Memphis is kind of similar to the Thunder in that I don't, don't they have a negative net rating? They don't
1: anymore, um, because but they but they, they only just recovered. Like actually, ironically, the the blowout win they had over Golden State was what pushed them pushed them into the into the black finally.
2: Right, because so their offense has been. It has been really bad, and Fisdale, Fisdale is, is for sure. I guess we're giving like quarter season awards or whatever. He's yeah, definitely he's been another, fantastic. Well, yeah, and you're, right. I mean, you're
1: right that they've been like the Thunder, and that, you know those are the two teams who've played the most uh, late and close games. I want to say the Thunder are, are, I don't want to say the Grizzlies are like twelve or thirteen and zero in those games. I mean they've just. They've practically won every single game, and they've all been you know two or three point games, and you know that that really adds up. And you know if you bank a bunch of wins now, that can really really mean a lot. You know a couple months from now.
2: Right, like it just reminds me, like you're a baseball fan, right? Yeah, it reminds me of like two thousand. I think it's 2012 in the AL East, like the Baltimore Orioles. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the Orioles to fall out of the playoff picture because the Orioles have like literally the best winning percentage of all time in one run game. And I'm like, they're gonna start losing some one run games, and it just kind of never happened. And I think they set the record for best winning percentage ever in one run yep, game that year. Yeah, I
1: remember that. Yep. So like
2: sometimes. And they made and they made the playoffs, and, and they, they lost the Yankees in, in the first round, and they, they made the playoffs as a wild card. And 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 sometimes, like, sometimes it just doesn't fall off, but I still believe that when it doesn't fall off, it's no luck. Like, there are certain things that allow you to win close games, for sure. Yep. But I don't yep. – like, there are things that allow you to thrive in a close game. Like, I don't want to say the team can't be good or bad in type situations, but you absolutely can, and there are mental and physical skills that allow you to be good in close games. Uh, But but I don't think there's anything that allows you to be that good in close games. Like, I don't think anyone can be that historically good. I think an individual probably can, but I don't think an entire team can be that good. Like, you need a lot Yeah, even
1: an individual can. I mean, you're, you're in situations like that. I mean, it, it, a lot of the time, it's just dumb luck. Like, like that game against the Wizards. I mean, Russ pulls up from three to tie right. the game with, you know, whatever. Very little time left. I mean, it's a bad – I mean, it's look, when Russ takes a three, it's a bad shot. So, you know, he managed to get one to go in at the right time. But most of the time, that shot's going to miss. So, you know, if you, you have a few of those moments break your way in a small sample size, all of a sudden you're rolling along and you, you've won all these false games and you've banked a lot of wins and – and you, uh, and you, you have yourself in a good situation. And I, I think you know. Uh, so, would you say that they're kind of six and six a, and then Portland's eight for you?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I don't really know who's better. I mean, Memphis also has like, like, like we haven't even discussed that Mike Conley's hurt. Like right. that's a really, really big that's deal. Really Mike Conley's injury, like, yeah. he's a great player, and even and though they, they somehow won six in a
1: row without him, after they couldn't, they were horrible. with, You know, whenever he didn't play, the first. Month month plus of the season they were they were horrendous when he just was on the bench. Let alone if he didn't play in a game, and uh, you know the fact they've now won six in a row without him is massive.
2: I mean, that, right? I mean, it was and
1: like look, Mark. they could lose twenty games on of twenty five or something.
2: Right, and Marcus All is he's great. It makes I, I love Marcus All. It makes me it makes me happy that um, that last year was just a down year, like it was just an injury year, and it wasn't uh he's getting old year. But he's he's been great this year, I think uh but but yeah i mean that team was injury prone and like when when you look at this when they when they had a couple of guys out they, they had a game this year where they rested a couple of guys and you just looked at that starting lineup and it was just like oh my goodness and if they get to that point where they lose another guy and that's a team where i think you can talk about injuries because there's such a history there uh and, and if you you get to a point where no, I'm not saying like, a guy misses the season, but just like someone sporadically misses some games here and there, like this is a situation where it can knock them down a season or two in the West, I think. I don't think they're going to miss the playoffs, but I, I think it's a situation where you can, can knock them down. Right. So
1: so the Thunder are 15-9 and nine right now. How many games do they have before that 16-21 stretch? Is it five?
2: Um... Four games. Four games, including the Portland game on Tuesday.
1: Okay, so so at the end of at the end of January, they'll have played what? 50, they'll have played forty nine games. So what? By the end of that sixteen and twenty one stretch, they're fifteen and nine now. You know, out of those out of those twenty twenty five games, what what do they need? You know, what do they need their record to be? Um, what do they need their record to be? Do you think to be in the kind of position they want to be? And what's what's your target uh, think, for them?
2: I think if they're over five hundred still then they're in a good spot for the playoffs because like the west, the bottom the bottom part of the West is just so bad. Right. Uh like like Portland is two under five hundred right now and they're pretty comfortably gonna be the AC, I think. Uh so like I mean look like what? New Orleans isn't gonna come back and make the playoffs? Like Minnesota's not gonna come back and make the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, I mean, and Sacramento make...
1: Sacramento, Denver, and New Orleans all I think to varying degrees. Have the ability to get somewhere from thirty-eight to forty-two wins if everything breaks right, and more likely in the 38-39 range. So, I think I think you're right. As long as as long as the Thunder can get through this stretch, like you know, if they if they can go through those twenty-five games, eleven and fourteen, and they're they're twenty-six and twenty-three, say, um, you know, for example, um, I, I think that I think that's that's pretty darn good. Um, yeah,
2: I I agree.
1: But if they if they get you know, if they if they go eight and seventeen and they're you know twenty three and twenty six, well then maybe maybe then you know it's, we start to wonder are they you know one rust you know a couple of weeks out from maybe being in a bit of a dicey spot because you know some of those teams at the bottom of the west are interesting and you know you know a team like Denver they've got so many guys that they could maybe make a move for for somebody that kind of pops onto the market um, and, and maybe maybe they maybe they take a, a rise up the standings a little bit so. Um, it, it will be interesting to see. But I, I, I'm with you. I I think they really um I think they really just have to tread water. And as long as they can tread water, which which again is why banking all all these early wins was so big and winning winning these toss up games against teams like Denver and Washington um was such a big deal because it, it really has put them in a situation now where, you know, they go into this really brutal stretch and they do have a little bit of a cushion that they can afford to You know, lose some of these road games; they're probably going to lose, and it's not going to leave them in a position where they're fighting for their lives just to make the playoffs come April.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like the the thing about this stretch is that I mean, it is it's like it's brutal. Like it's and it's not just that because of road games. Like the quality of teams they're playing in this stretch. It, like it, if it does, if they say it doesn't exhaust them, then they're lying because it's going to exhaust me just traveling to <laughs> every one of these things and watching them, and I'm not even playing. So, right. if, they, if they say it doesn't exhaust them, then they're lying. They're human beings, it's going to exhaust them. The travel is going to exhaust them, and so and, they're playing, they're not playing like roll over team in the stretch. They are playing Houston, they're playing uh, Utah, they're playing. They're playing all the top teams in the West and they're playing Cleveland, they're playing San Antonio, they're playing the Warriors, they're playing the Clippers, like they're playing Boston. Like these are not like these are these were really really good teams all those games yeah i forgot
1: about that boston game that was another game the other night that they should have lost they managed to to pull out at the end i mean they've had they've had three or four games i mean at least three games washington boston and denver all games they should have lost and you know if they lose those three games which i think you know seven times or eight times out of ten they lose those games where given where they were with five minutes to go um you know then and things look a lot different but the fact that they were able to find a way to pull those out, now you're six games over 500, and, and your position looks just infinitely better than if you're hovering around 500 going into this brutal stretch on the road.
2: Common common thread in those games, Russell Westbrook was absolutely ridiculous in crunch time every single one. Yep, yep. Uh, like like superhuman every single one. But like he in the Washington game, he scored 15 points just in overtime, and oh, he that, was he, yeah. He that was,
1: overtime was insane. That overtime was insane. Was insane.
2: Uh but he was he was terrible for the first forty seven minutes and fifty one seconds of that game.
1: <laughs> yes he was.
2: And then and then he and then he hit a three to tie it with nine seconds left. Yep. And including in the last five minutes with nine seconds. the overtime plus that three. He had eighteen. Points. Uh and it was like it was like he just hit a switch, she just got on fire. He was ridiculous. uh. You know, and then, yeah, that's, and, then, and
1: that's happened. That's happened. Like to your point, that's happened over and over again, which is why. And I, yeah. I do like how you you kind of point that out. That if you're gonna, if you are gonna make the um, Russ's MVP argument, that's that's how you make it. You say mm-hmm. that you look at these close games, and Westbrook, you know, time after time has managed to drag them over the finish to finish lines to wins they would not have had otherwise. And those those wins will probably wind up being the difference between them. You know, either. Just squeaking into the playoffs as an AC or, or, or missing the playoffs, and probably comfortably finishing sixth or seventh in the West, and you know probably winning forty two, forty three, forty four games when it's all said and done, um, because because he he was able to to kind of carry them over the line in those games they otherwise would have lost.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, look, he was he was, he was great during all of the Boston games. I thought that was one of his one of the best games of the year. But just like you look at it late, and he was. He he created as he tends to do. He he created all those points. He had the go ahead basketball. He had kid Avery Bradley right on him and Avery Bradley kind of played it. But Avery Bradley is not a guy who gets blown by a lot. And he nope. just blew he just blew by Avery Bradley uh and, and finished finished the layup like a full step ahead of him. Uh which was just so impressive and then and then he basically had like one one a jump ball in one of the most majestic jump balls that you're you're ever going to see. He looked like Ben Stiller in that scene from Meet the Parents where he spikes the ah. volleyball, <laughs> like, where he just gets so much higher than he looks like a human is supposed to get. Uh, and and that basically clinched it. And, like, just these, these plays that he's making late in games are, um, like, they mean something. I know I, I, I understand the statistical argument for, for what is and, and what isn't clutch and, and how to define clutch. And, and all of those things, and, and I understand, if not, agree with a lot of the points that are made in those sorts of things. Uh, but I think what gets lost when people who say that much doesn't necessarily exist, uh, when you're making necessarily an MVP argument for someone or something like that, I think what gets lost in that sort of thing is that, that that's predictive, right? It doesn't tell you what did or didn't happen. It tells you just judging off the past – this isn't necessarily predictive of the future just as it happened in the past. And I'm cool with that. But I do think with, with the MVP stuff, we don't need to necessarily vote on what should have happened. I just kind of believe you should be voting on what did happen. And this stuff's happening. It's happening. And, and it, it is valuable that it's happening late. I, I, I can't I I don't know. Harden's been unbelievable. Um and so is Kevin Durant. Well, I mean there have been there've been there have been
1: a, a ton of players that have been unbelievable. But look the, if if the if the Thunder continue look, if the Thunder continue to be on the pace they're at now, he's going to win the M now I think I think that a realistic look at what's happened and the schedule they played would tell you that, you know, the Thunder have played a lot of home games. And they've they've won a lot of very close games, the games they probably, like like we said, over and over again, games they most likely would lose if they played them again in the same situation, and that's due to balance out. And if they finish with, you know, 42 or 3 or 4 or 5 wins, as opposed to 52 wins, that will probably put a real dent in his MVP candidacy. Um, But if if they do manage to win that many games, and he does average a triple-double, and, you know, he does keep having these clutch moments late in games, you know, whether whether he wins 44 or 54, it's probably going to be hard for him not to wind up getting that award.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a test of the voters, like a, a, a test of the historical precedent, because you don't win if you're not a top two seed, and you don't win if your team doesn't win 50. And and if he finishes averaging like thirty ten and ten or what the thirty one eleven and eleven now like if he finishes with with that kind of stuff, with those kinds of numbers I mean that he could be also like people are talking about him averaging a triple double something that no one else is talking about I think Nate, Nate Archibald Tiny Archibald the only guy to lead the league in assists and scoring in the same season right yeah like he could yep. he could do yep. that yeah he could do it. That that might be more impressive. Than so what what's the done.
1: what's the win total you think they need to get to for him to win that award? Like what what if, number do you have in your head that says if, if they win X number of games, I think he's got it.
2: Um, I think I think he he will get if if he puts up this production. I think he'll get it if they win it. Um, I don't think I don't think they're gonna win fifty. Um, right. Uh, but I also didn't think he stood it chance at all at averaging a triple bubble. So right. it shows how shows how smart I am. <laughs> uh, but but I, I don't think they're gonna win fifties, but like if you're asking like what's the number that he gets it, I think it's fifty. I do think it's possible that like this is the year that it kinda breaks the precedent too. Um I, I do think it's possible that this is the year where like 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 it's happened like Moses Moses Malone won an M V P you know thirty four years ago, won an M V P on a forty for twenty. So like it's it's happened, obviously a different voting base factor. Uh, but I think now we're also kind of, uh, the voting base is, is less prone to vote off of the mainstream stuff that we once did. I think the voters are probably more educated now than they were 10 years ago in in all the votes. And uh, maybe maybe they won't look at it. You know, I think there are going to be people who just look at it and like, dude averages triple-double. That's unbelievable. I didn't think that I'd ever see anybody do that. He gets my vote. And that's the logic. And so I think it's possible if they win forty-five, like he can do it. But I think fifty is the one he's got to get to for like he gets it. Yeah,
1: I agree with you. I think it will probably be tough for him to win the award, no matter what stats he put up. Puts up. If we're right and the Thunder finish sixth or seventh in the West, um, because if the let's say the Rockets win ten more games and James Harden is averaging, you know, twenty-nine, thirteen, and set an eight or seven or whatever. Um, you know, there's gonna be a lot of people saying, Hey, you might be out in triple double, with well, James Harden's team won ten more games and he was incredible. Um and Kawhi has been great and Durant has been great. And by the way, LeBron has been great and they could win sixty games. And um, you know, like there there's so many guys that have had great seasons that it will be interesting to see. But I, I do think there's little doubt that that, you know, Russ's chase for the triple double and, you know, his quest to try to, to win M V P and and drag you know, it, I have kind of been amused, you know, Russ, you know, to his undying credit, has tried to say that he's not interested in, in winning MVP. And I think his quote the other day was, the championships are all that matter to me. I mean, you know, with all due respect, Russ, I, I do think there's little doubt that, uh, that Russell Westbrook hasn't entered this season uh, hell-bent on, uh, you know, dominating the league in every possible way that he can, which I think certainly would include, you know, dragging this Thunder team back into the playoffs, preferably with as high a seed as he can, and winning MVP and averaging a triple-double, which no one has done before. I mean, I think there's little doubt that, that all of that stuff is in the back of his mind every time he's going out there on the court every day.
2: You know what my least favorite part about sports is? That that we, and like, when I say we, I mean everyone. The right. fans, the media, we've created this culture where, like, it's not okay for him to say, yeah, of course I want to win MVP. Of course right. I want to average. There should be nothing wrong with that. Like right. there's no there's no other industry in which that's not okay. Like if you said to me, like, hey Fred, do you want to wear a Pulitzer? I, my answer would not be, you know, it would be nice if it happens, but like I really just want the Norman Transcript to make a lot of money. Just right, it. right, that is, right. That is so untrue. Give right. me a Pulitzer, but right. of course. And, right. And, Everyone would be like, "What are you talking about?" Of course, I don't. I, that's such a lie. Why would you even say that? Uh, even even right. everyone I work with at the Norman Transfer would be like, "Why would you say that?" You know? Right? <laughs> like, right. Like there's, well, why there's I nothing like Draymond wrong with that.
1: Green. That's why I like Draymond Green because he, Draymond just doesn't care. You know, like Draymond doesn't Draymond doesn't bother with with any etiquette. You know, which gets him in trouble sometimes. But he just says what's on his mind at all times, and he doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't think twice about it, which which is which is what makes him so wild. Be entertaining, but but you're right. It, it is kind of unfortunate that we have created this this kind of uh, this situation where you know what obviously is true can't be said because people don't want to offend anyone or, or think they're you know not doing you know saying and acting the right way and, and all of that. So um, right, and that, it's that also it's true.
2: also it's also like people can't appreciate the nuance. Like because he wants to win MVP. Doesn't mean like or I shouldn't say he because he's not saying he's never said it and he never will say it, right. um, even if he, if he wins, but he obviously so, wants it. He could both want that and not yeah. have
1: it be a detriment to the, to the team and what they're trying to do exactly.
2: Course. Like, right just because he wants to win an MVP, it doesn't, I'm not saying he doesn't want to win a championship, of course, right. he wants to win a championship. Right. The dude is, here's the thing. I don't think any person can say Russell Westbrook is the most the one of the most competitive people in the league which I he is he really is outrageously like he yeah he's competitive. like competitive
1: he's like Kobe for for all the for, for all the good things that means and all the bad things that means he is the closest thing to Kobe Bryant that the league currently has
2: so he he flips out about getting to practice first. He right. he has competitions about getting to practice right? and if he so so earlier this year we were in a scrum and he was talking about uh Eric Horn from the Oklahoma was asking him about like Andre Robertson who who had been coming in early morning to to in like has been all season just uh he's up to shooting workouts and all that kind of stuff. And Eric mm-hmm. is asking Russell about it. And Russell will say I'm like, Yeah, it's great. He just you know, he works like crazy, it's just awesome to, have to blah blah blah. And and Eric says, so is Andre coming in before you? And Russell got legitimately offended. I thought he was going to rip Eric's head off. And he goes, no, nobody comes in before me. If they did, I'd be beating him again. I'd be coming in even earlier. And i was just like, oh, my goodness. Like, he, he is so competitive. Like He's so competitive, not just about wins and losses, like about the process. Like, you can't tell me that a guy is that competitive about getting to practice and then when you ask him about winning the MVP, he's just like, No, nah, I don't care. Right. <laughs> there's, right, there's, right. That can't right. that can't be possible. Right. That that can't be possible for a human being to be like that. Like that's the trait, that's the mental trait. That's one of the huge things that makes him so great. You know? Uh, yeah. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Totally. I think that I think that's a good note to end on. What uh, give the people uh give the people your your, your social media handles and uh
2: and let them know.
1: And I know you have your own podcast up and on, so so tell people where to find that and uh and, and plug some plug some of your work.
2: Yeah, so you know we didn't talk about the biggest thunder story of the season.
1: What what is that exactly? Did I miss something? It's,
2: it's been thirty six days since Demonte Sabonis attempted a free throw. Oh. <laughs> I've been I've been I've been tracking this thing like crazy. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> well huge. You can, I guess
1: you can follow Fred to to find to, to keep to keep up on the DeMontis Sabonis tracker on uh when his his free throw streak is going to end.
2: My favorite competition has been DeMontis Sabonis free throw attempts versus Nick Collison assist. Nick Collison has played twenty two minutes this year and Sabonis is a starter who plays legit minutes and Collison is winning five to two right now. It's a big thing. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really excited about it. This is Uh, what it's like to be
1: Fred. This is what it's like to be Fred's friend, right there. That that (laughs) minute, that that last sixty seconds is a microcosm. Only Fred's cat.
2: Yeah. Anyway, if you really, uh, if you have no self-respect, follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at, I'm at Fred's cat. Yeah. My podcast is locked on Thunder is daily, uh, so every Monday through Friday. So I I record them after games. I stay up super late and and record them once I get my gamers done after games, game previews. I've had you on, Tim. I've had a bunch of other people on as well. Um, So you can find that on on iTunes or, like, wherever you check out podcasts. And – if, you, if you're if you looking for anything, you can just check out my Twitter. I have Fred Captain. And, and normantranscript.com is my blog, Thunder Road, under the sports tab on the site. So you can find that there, too.
0: Cool. All right. Sounds good. Thanks uh,
1: thanks for stopping by, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun. All
0: right. Thank you to Fred for, for coming on. I really enjoyed having him on the podcast. Appreciate him spending a late night with me on my ride back to San Francisco. Um, for all you who have listened, thank you for doing so. Uh, please... Give, uh, you know, please give posting up a five-star rating or review on iTunes and Stitcher, wherever else you can do so. Um, that's always appreciated. Uh, you can find my work uh, at on Twitter, at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook, at Tim Bontemps NBA. Um, also, you can find my work uh, in the Washington Post and on the Washington Post website, uh, WashingtonPost.com. Uh, right now, we have a subscription uh, deal for 19 bucks for a year for and just the national edition and 29 bucks for both the national and local edition, um, should be a, you know, I think it's a, a great deal. Give it to somebody as a holiday present. So hopefully you can do that. Um, but I, I definitely think it's worth, worth looking for. Um, thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the pod. Uh, always get a lot of compliments on it. So thank you to, to Glenn and the band for that. Uh, thanks. Thanks again, uh, to all you guys for listening. Really appreciate it. And, uh, no, we'll be back again later in a week trying to trying to get back to the, the two pot a week schedule. But um hopefully you enjoyed this one and and thanks for listening and we'll talk to y'all again soon.